and welcome to Regeneratively Speaking, a podcast brought to you by the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm Emily Gregg. And I'm Joshua Huntsberger. In each episode, we bring you interviews with guest researchers and our institute's faculty covering the latest cutting-edge research on regenerative medicine. Good afternoon. Today we have Dr. Michael Yasmensky, who is a distinguished professor of orthopedic surgery and biomedical engineering at Mayo, at Mayo Clinic. He is also director of tissue engineering and biomaterials research laboratory and director of Mayo Clinic uh, core C- GLP and CGMP histomorphometry and biomaterials characterization and fabrication laboratory. Welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Great. So we'd like to start off with some of your training and background. We know you started off at Georgetown University School of Medicine where you received your MD and then you went on for your PhD at MIT under Robert Langer where you focused on degradable biomaterials. We're wondering if you could give our audience some perspective on what led you to this path on tissue engineering and biomaterial science. Well, uh, these things uh, always have roads with twists in them unexpected opportunities and things that you never thought you'd do. So I'll back up a little bit. Uh, I started uh, being an engineer. I was a chemical engineering undergraduate at uh, Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I uh, also played on a football team. We were a Division I AA football team, and I was a blindside tackle. I started for two years. We were a good Division I AA team, a small college, and we were 1975 Eastern champions and 1977 national champions. Uh, I graduated, uh, and like most engineers, uh, had two or more job. I had two job offers. Had a job offer from what's today uh, Exxon Mobil. Back then it was Esso to work on synthetic uh, automobile uh, engine oil, and a, a job offer from Pratt and Whitney down in Florida to work on uh, uh, polymeric coatings for uh, jet engine blades. Uh, I asked uh, each of them if I could give them an answer in September as I was the oldest of three and be the first one to leave home and wanted to spend one more summer with my parents and my (laughs) younger brother and sister, and they said okay. (laughs) So um, at the end of July, I got a call from the football coach uh, at Lehigh who said, congratulations, Michael, you've won an NCAA uh, scholarship. Wow. And I said, "Uh, Coach, uh, I graduated college two months ago. Uh, <laughs> I'm about to take a job. What, what, what is this? And he said, well, it's, uh, I didn't tell you I put you up for it. If you didn't get it, I wasn't going to say anything, but you got it. I said, yeah, but what is it? He said, well, if you go to graduate school this fall, uh, NCA is going to pay for it. If you don't, they're, they're going to give it to somebody else. I said, coach, graduate school starts in three weeks. Uh, people going to graduate school took, uh, GREs last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put in applications last Christmas. Mm-hmm. They heard <laughs> in February and they accepted in March. I mean, I can't possibly go to graduate school now. He's a pretty gruff guy. He said, take it or leave it. I need to know tomorrow. <laughs> wow. So uh, this was back in the day before cell phones, and I took a chance that the chair of chemical engineering had uh, his home telephone number in the telephone book, and he did. I called him, and I told him the story I just told you. I said, remember me? I'm one of your graduating seniors. And uh, he paused for a moment and said, uh, 
Come on back to Bethlehem, find a place to live. Uh, I'll take care of the paperwork. Classes start in two and a half weeks, and I'll take care of what you take and figure out what you're going to do for your master's degree. Welcome back. So these unexpected things that happen along the way. So it was in that uh, they also picked the thesis project for me, which was a uh, polymeric synthesis of a, uh, a reagent for some immunologic testing that, uh, that we did together with a doctor at Mount Sinai. I never thought about going to medical school. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that got me interested. But uh, in any event, after that, after that master's degree, I went out and did work. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, did went to industry, worked for GAF Corporation. Mm-hmm. Uh, had the most wonderful job. I had the job at the intersection of polymer chemistry and polymer engineering. Uh, I worked with the chemists in lab glassware, and when uh, uh, leadership thought that something might be a product, I was the director of the pilot plant for scale-up. I would go over with a chemist with the recipe to the pilot plant. As, uh, as I mentioned earlier today, uh, when I spoke uh, to your team, uh, not everything that works in a 500cc flask yeah. works in a 200-gallon steel reactor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was happy, happy with that, but I got married, and uh, my new wife got into Georgetown Law School. <laughs> and uh, the deal was I was going to stay up in the northern New Jersey working for GAF, and she'd get an apartment with some other law students. And well, for reasons I, I still don't understand, 40 years later, <laughs> I, I took the MCAT. I applied to one place, Georgetown, and got into medical school. I didn't know I didn't want to be a lawyer and do what she was doing. Um, no disrespect to my lawyer colleagues out there. It just wasn't an interest of mine. Um, and so I think I just wanted to be with my new wife. I went, yeah. uh, went down to, We went down to Washington together, mm-hmm. two students. and uh, But I'd already had the bug for polymers and I'd worked in industry and seen how it worked and um, that got the MD and uh, the so these these things of uh, just chance that you don't plan happen all the time uh, and with respect to the PhD I was already an orthopedic surgeon I did residency and when I was a second year resident the chair called me into his office I thought oh gosh I probably did something really bad and I'm gonna get yelled at but he said we have gotten approval to make a uh, PhD out of one of the faculty and uh, have that person wear two hats and run a research program within the department. And you're the only one who has an advanced degree of all our faculty and all our residents. You have a master's in chemical engineering. Yeah. want you to finish the residency, go get a PhD and come back here. Oh my gosh. That's how I became a PhD. The Air Force paid for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I did ask uh, for one concession to do that. Uh, I said, if I do a five-year PhD, uh, I will miss the window to become board certified in orthopedic surgery. I will not have done any clinical work for five years. They will make me redo chief resident year. May I do clinical fellowship while this is going on? And um, so for my two years and three months in Boston, uh, I did a spinal fellowship, spinal surgery fellowship, most of a tumor surgery fellowship, which is what I ended up doing, both of those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, did everything, uh, quals, courses, Mm -hmm. thesis proposal, and I applied to leave an all-but-degree status, which I did, and Mm -hmm. did the research uh, over the next four or five years by myself in the lab out behind the Air Force Hospital. Mm -hmm. So all these unexpected things that jump up in your face really do determine what you do. I had no plan for any of this stuff, but I'm real happy to be doing it now because I very much love what I do. 
Yeah, I think that's a great story. And, you know, you mentioned uh, some time with the Air Force. And so we know that that's where your career path went. And you spent some significant time there. So could you talk a little bit more about that experience and how it complemented your medical and scientific training? Yeah, thank you. Once again, a chance. Uh, I have an uncle uh, who is now 82 years old, was a Vietnam veteran in the Air Force, a uh, very uh, cut-to-the-chase guy. Uh, once I got into Georgetown, he called me and said, congratulations, nephew, I hear you're in medical school. How are you paying for it? <laughs> I said, uncle, I haven't thought about that yet. He yeah. said, well, you better. I've checked Georgetown's tuition. This is back in 1978. Yeah. It's $27,000 a year, plus you got to live in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a new program in the Air Force called Health Profession Scholarship Program. I've uh, taken the liberty of sending you an application. I suggest you read it, <laughs> fill it out, and send it in. Uh, my wife and I read it and said, look, uh, we'll come out of Georgetown owing somewhere between 300000 or more dollars and not having a cent of income. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay for four years of law school. I mean, we're going to be half a million dollars, three years of law school. We'll be half a million dollars in a hole before we even start. Mm -hmm. Look at this. This will pay everything. It'll pay all the tuition, all the fees. It'll give us a little money to live on, and all i got to do is pay them back for four years uh, how about if we do this? So we did. and uh, But then, you know, things happen. I got hooked. I, I got hooked with their commitment to service, integrity, honesty. Uh, and I ended up doing 13 years active duty and uh, stayed as a res reservist. I retired five years ago with 34 total years. So things, things unexpected happen all the time. Yeah, they're part of the path of your life. So we know that your current research focuses on bone, cartilage, and spinal cord regeneration using synthetic polymeric scaffold cells and, cold, um, and controlled delivery of bioactive molecules. We were wondering if you could talk to our listeners about some of these medical applications. And I know you uh, addressed some of these during your, your talk today about um, engineered skin, um, looking at cartilage rege regeneration, if you could talk about some of those applications. Uh, also, the, the nerve regeneration I thought was very fascinating. And thank you. We, we, we started doing those uh, because I'm an orthopedist, and I looked at doing orthopedic things. That's where all they came. I mean, the, uh, the need for gastroenterologic things, the need for cardiovascular things, the need for tumor things, they all exist. Um, and although I do, I, 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 I work clinically both as a tumor surgeon mm -hmm. uh, and as a spine surgeon. Uh, so we do have a portion of our lab that does discovery science on sarcoma biology. Um, but the other things are all orthopedic things that I either think I know a little bit about or have <laughs> partners who know a lot about right, them that I, can, right. that I can draft on. Right. And, and I involve the... Uh, the surgeons in orthopedics, in shoulders, in joints, in pediatrics, in hand, all in the lab. They are all welcome in the lab, and, and they come and let me know what the problems are. So we start with the unmet needs. They just happen to be mostly orthopedic. Um, the spinal cord and the, um, and the nerve, uh, and, and to a great extent the bone and cartilage, came from... Uh, my experience uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. These are healthy young women and men that have horrible, horrible things happen to them. Uh, we are at a point now where 
well over 90% of injured people who make it to the first tent hospital with a pulse and a blood pressure stay alive. Having said that, they stay alive with more and more serious musculoskeletal injuries, mostly musculoskeletal and, and others, of course. So the, my motivation, and uh, when a firm came around, it, it fit very well to try to look for things that were in the firm portfolio for uh, writing grants to uh, that addressed the things that I saw in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's how we got started with those. And uh, we're still working on them. And uh, spinal cord's going to take a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we've, we've made some decisions. The first thing, again, is it's all about the team. Uh, I enlisted a, a neurology part, partner uh, during a firm one. Although he, uh, I, I wrote the grant, and when it got accepted, I realized that I needed uh, a team that had neurology expertise. Uh, he, uh, Dr. Windebank at Mayo, is a peripheral nerve neurologist. He's chair of the Molecular Neuroscience PhD program, has been dean of both the medical school and graduate school at different times. Um, he has been president of the Peripheral Nerve Society of America, and he is editor of the journal of the Peripheral Nerve Society. Mm. Uh, so we now have good guidance on what we will do with respect to peripheral nerve and spinal cord. Um, we have chosen a model that isn't, uh, for the spinal cord, isn't clinically, um, it doesn't reflect the usual clinical situation, which is a compression injury. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been doing spine surgery now for nearly 30 years, and I've seen maybe four or five transected spinal cords. It's almost always a cord that takes a very strong bump and stops working but is intact. Mm. So models that reflect that, uh, if, uh, you know, when we go to the meetings, if one comes up and says, oh, we got this result from our treatment, someone will come to the microphone and say, how can you be sure that the injured neurons uh, and the injured uh, uh, dendrites, the injured nerves, didn't just heal? Well, that is always met with, well, we don't know, but the controls didn't heal. Um, So we chose a transection model. We take five uh, millimeters of the thoracic spinal cord out of a rat. It's very much more difficult for our animal uh, care, our veterinary technician colleagues, because they have to express the bladder a couple times a day. Uh, But I think it's fair to say that if, if something works, uh, it was because of the treatment, because that gap, nothing grows across that gap if you cut a bit of the spinal cord out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have uh, had, uh, Dr. Windebank taught me all about the way we do things neurologically, stains differentially the sensory axons and the motor axons. We have had motor axons sprout from the cut end of the rostral spinal cord, cross the gap to the scaffold, go all the way through the scaffold, go out the other end of the scaffold, Mm -hmm. go into the caudal end of the cut spinal cord, and after that they go about two millimeters. They curly cue up and and stop. Mm -hmm. But the uh, staining for sensory axons shows that they exit the cut caudal end of the spinal cord, cross the distal gap to the scaffold, get into the scaffold, travel in a rostral direction, get out the rostral end of the scaffold, 
into the cut end of the rostral spinal cord, and then they also go two or three millimeters and curl up and stop. So there's something uh, that's inhibitory, Mm -hmm. both Mm -hmm. at the supposed living rostral end of the cut Mm -hmm. and now not living Mm -hmm. distal end of the cut that takes these axones that are going pretty nicely through the scaffold where there's guidance, Mm -hmm. uh, and then they stop. So we have a guidance uh, neuroscientist at Mayo, and we're working with him and some students to try to sort out what's next. What's what's next? How How do we get these things to keep growing? That's, that's, that's how that one went. Yeah, that, that's exciting. And the, the one thing that I just wanted to add from our meeting earlier, um, you were mentioning in whale, they grow, I think, at the rate of eight centimeters. And uh, I, I since remember that the, the neuroscientist's name is Paul Weiss. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a 1946 paper. And looking <laughs> at the uh, growth rate of the peripheral nerve uh-huh. in a baby whale, it's pretty darn big when it's born, yeah. but it grows real fast. And the nerves keep up. So I would suggest that there is a mammalian system Mm -hmm. in which nerves grow at 8 centimeters a day. Well, that's very exciting research. Um, And so just to sort of wrap up our podcast, you know, we have a lot of young scientists as listeners. Do you have any advice for them, um, for anybody looking to go into this exciting field? Uh, Decide uh, in your mind and in your heart what it is you want to do and start walking in that direction. Be alert for unexpected doors of opportunity opening. And if you have a good idea of what it is you want to do, you'll know whether to say yes or no to each of those because those doors are going to close real quick too. Mm -hmm. Work hard, be honest, Mm -hmm. get along with the people that you work with, be a good team player, and things will go okay for you. Those are all very great, great tips. All right, thank you so much. Thanks thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. That's all for this episode. Be sure to listen next time for the latest in regenerative medicine. This podcast is a production of the Wake Forest Institute for Regenerative Medicine, part of the Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. For more information, visit our website at www.wfirm.org or follow us on Facebook and Twitter at WFIRM News.